Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers, teachers, and all of God's creatures. I'm Rachel Wren. And I'm Tim McNinch. Now I need to warn all of you listening out there, I have a hunch that you're going to hear something today that you've heard before, and you're probably going to hear again. Rachel? Yes? Today's text that you're covering for us is Exodus 1.8 to 2.10, the first reading scheduled for August 23rd, 2020. And I just have this feeling, just, you know, sort of like a gut instinct. Might this be one of your all-time favorite Bible stories? Yes! (laughs) Okay, you've been warned. Rachel, why don't you lead us through it? Okay, well, first of all, it's not only one of my favorite stories. It has one of the best dramatic lines in all of Scripture. So, the setup is verses 1 to 7, and we don't get them in our lectionary reading, which is kind of okay. It's it's just a very general setup of the story, a kind of intro, reminding us who were the sons of Israel who came to Egypt and that they came because of Joseph. So, right away in those first few verses, we're supposed to be drawn back into this tumultuous story of Joseph and his brothers with all of its drama and all of its tension and its triumphant finish with Joseph standing at the helm as the savior of Israel and of Egypt. Then in verse 8, it comes and in the Hebrew it says, In less than 10 words, the story has absolutely transfigured. No longer does Pharaoh know that the Israelites are descended from an Egyptian savior. No longer does the power structure of the ruling family know that they owe their reign to the ancestor of this people. All they know is there are a bunch of Israelites running around. Mm -hmm. The Israelites are no longer protected. We hear that verse and we should be shaking in our boots. It's so good. Yeah, it is. a It's a turning point verse. Mm. But Rachel, we're already a few minutes into our podcast and you only covered one verse. Okay, I know, I know. So here's the thing. This is such a great story that it would take me a long time to give it the justice it deserves. So instead of going deep into the story, what I want to do is take a little bit of a step back and instead focus on three characters. Three characters who all play the same role in this story. Powerless people who block the cruel plans of the powerful. All right. I'm guessing at least two of these are the midwives? Yes, absolutely. So there's Shifra and Pua. Now, typically in the the Hebrew Bible, when you come upon names... They mean something, and it has something to do with the story. But the midwives' names are a little bit more confusing. Shifra likely comes from Shafar, which means to be beautiful, comely, or fair. Pua is a little bit harder to track down. But you don't have to get too sidetracked by the names. Most likely, these are Egyptian midwives, because Pharaoh gives them an order to kill Hebrew babies. And no Mm. self-respecting midwife who is Hebrew would just say, oh, okay, this sounds good. But anybody who knows a midwife knows that no self-respecting midwife of any (laughs) ethnicity would kill a baby. It's antithetical to everything they stand for. It's a ridiculous, stupid move from this person in power, and the midwives are easily able to avoid following his order. 
right, right, for sure. He he asks them, why are the Hebrew women still giving birth? And the midwives start giving him all the gory details, and the pharaoh is like, oh, that's all right. I don't need to know anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's actually a great exercise in uh, that kind of feminine-masculine dynamic. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is that when you probe this story even deeper, there's not a whole lot that Pharaoh does that makes sense. So he says he's afraid that the Israelites are going to rise up against the Egyptians. And so to get around that, he tries to kill their babies. Like, yeah, (laughs) that's really going to get them on your side, right? He wants less Israelites around, so he kills just the boy babies, but he lets the girl ones live. I mean, does this seem like an unnecessarily complicated plan to you? Yeah, an evil scheme, something like uh, like what Dr. Evil from Austin Powers would come up with. Right, right, exactly. You just picture an Egyptian Mr. Bigglesworth, and you've got yourself a decent picture of Pharaoh in this narrative. The problem is, being dumb doesn't make Pharaoh any less dangerous. In fact, it makes him more dangerous because he escalates the idiocy to include the entire nation, telling all of his people to kill any Hebrew babies that they see. And here's where it gets interesting. So remember how I told you I was going to focus on three characters in this story who are powerless but block the powerful? Uh-huh. When I said that, did you have a guess about who the three people might be? You guessed the two midwives right away. Um, gee, uh... Mm-hmm. Moses' sister? Okay, yeah. So we don't hear her named as Miriam, but traditionally this is understood to be Miriam, Moses' sister. And that's how I've always viewed this text as well. The two Egyptian midwives and the two Hebrew women, Moses' mother and Moses' sister, use what little ability to act that they have, and they thwart the plans of Pharaoh. But I actually don't want to talk about Miriam or Moses' mother. Because there's one other person in this text who is surprisingly powerless, and it's Pharaoh's daughter. Hmm. You know, I so I get to teach middle school confirmation, and one of the reasons I absolutely love doing that is because young people hear things in the biblical text that I don't hear and that continue to surprise and open things up for me. I've always read the kind of idiocy of Pharaoh's daughter here as a a reflection of Pharaoh and his household. I mean, she's got to know her father's order, right? Mm -hmm. And instead what she does is she sees this as a Hebrew baby and calls out for a nursemaid when the order very clearly was to kill all the Hebrew boys in the Nile. And she actually rescues him out of the Nile. I mean, it just seems like kind of the supreme act of idiocy. But I was reading this with my confirmation students, and I said all of that. I went on that little lecture rant, and one of my confirmation students just really quietly asked, but what if she was trying to work against her dad as well? It just just changed the story for me. You know, you think about a pharaoh's daughter as someone with a lot of power, but faced with her dad and a royal edict, she really didn't. Uh, And you kind of wonder if the reason that she had Moses sent back to his mother was to keep him safe. Because if she brought him into the household at that point, her father probably would have known what had happened. And what's so beautiful about that is it changes the whole story. It makes it more complicated, more ambiguous, because it's no longer just Hebrew versus Egyptian. It's those fighting to save life versus the one trying to destroy life because of his blinding fear. Hmm. 
Wow. So I, I feel a sermon brewing here. Oh, yeah. W- what do you think? How would you preach this? I think you could preach it a couple of really fun ways. You could you could go broader and you could talk about Moses more broadly and talk about how in God's plan, sometimes we are called to be Moses with kind of like the staff and the flowing beard, or maybe not if you're a woman, but some sort of really distinguished figure of authority fighting against the powers of the powerful. And sometimes we're called to be midwives. Sometimes we're called to use what little agency we have to still act in the face of this overwhelming and cruel power. Sometimes we're called to be Moses, and sometimes we're called to be Shifra. Mm-hmm. I think that could be a really fun sermon. Yeah, and it says something about uh, being an ally. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think there's a really, uh, that could be a really good sermon maybe for a largely white congregation who feels really helpless to fight against racism and doesn't know how to do it or doesn't want to know how to do it, perhaps. But just Mm -hmm. that encouragement that there's always something that can be done, no matter how small it seems, that could be really powerful. Yeah, nice. Any, another idea? Yeah, I think that there's a nice distinction that this story um, refuses to make between people who are automatically on the good side of things or automatically on the bad side of things. Um, Those who are fighting to save life in this story, Egyptian midwives, a Hebrew mother, a young Hebrew girl, and a pharaoh's daughter— They all become allies in kind of an unexpected way with unexpected partners. And I think there's really something beautiful that troubles the easy distinctions we want to make in our life between people who are good and people who are bad, people who are on our side and people who are not. That makes this story really um, fruitful as a sermon. Yeah, I think so. I've often thought that it's helpful in in preaching in a Christian context to remind congregations that God is often at work outside of mm-hmm. our own little community and that yeah. if we're looking for God's presence, yes, yeah, so let's look for God's presence among us, but also let's look for God already at work in those who are outside of our community. Maybe we can listen to them and learn something from them about what it means to partner with God and bringing about justice. Absolutely. Yeah. This is a great text for that. So it's that'll definitely preach. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think that's going to bring us to the end of our episode today. Thanks again, Rachel, for your work on that. It's a pleasure. One of my favorite stories. <laughs> right. Okay, friends. Well, uh, we would appreciate it if you would subscribe to the podcast. Uh, that's good for us because it helps us get the word out about what we're doing. And it's good for you because you get our new episodes as soon as they go live. Uh, You can find all of our back episodes over on the website, firstreadingpodcast.com. And uh, until next time, I'm still Tim McNinch. (laughs) Good. I'm glad you're still Tim McNinch. And I'm Rachel Wren. Happy preaching. (laughs) 